Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're also online, RadioNorthland.org, and you can check out uh, all of our uh, all of our uh, episodes at our website, RadioNorthland.org slash Memories. Hi, Glenn Broggett, back from a little bit of a sabbatical. It's good to be uh, back to back to business in 2022, uh, making new episodes of Rasslin' Memories. I think I said then and now. I, I, that's been so long uh, since I've even said that. But anyway, it's good to be back. It's good to be here up here in lovely Minnesota, where it's starting to show signs that uh, there there's there's grass under the, the all that uh, snow we have. But anyway, down there deep in the heart of Texas is my co-host with the most. The guy books up a great guest and has a lot of good things on his mind. Mister Grizzled Veteran himself, Mike McCurdy. How's it going, Glenn? Weather here is pretty good, too, man. We're getting back up in the 60s, the 70s, so, you know. Winter oh. is almost over in the great state of Texas. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Then you got to prepare for the other stuff, the inevitable. Yeah, well, right now Texas is getting ready for WrestleMania weekend, so, you know, we're, we're about a month away, and like everybody's making their plans and getting ready for it. There's Rick Flair hosting a party that weekend. We got Diamond Dallas Page is going to be in town. I mean, just everything it's not just wrestlemania weekend there's events going on all through the month of march mm-hmm. people making promo appearances at trailer park shows and and uh auto shows might even have virgil show up an entire show i don't know but uh you know, lots of wrestlemania action happening right now he should be the goodwill ambassador at the freaking olive garden the way he marks out to that uh, meat sauce well you know if you gave him a spot he'd probably set up a table and sell you a picture yeah 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 a, a hello will cost you 20 Pitcher 25. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mike, it's been a while since we've uh, been here, uh, you know, the chatted up on Wrestling Memories. And, of course, uh, we were off doing our own thing and a lot of things going on in the world of professional wrestling while we were away. Uh, of course, we, uh, the first of all, we didn't even get to address this because we have been on a bit of a hiatus, is the Internet reaction to Cody Rhodes and Brandy Rhodes leaving, and I'm throwing air quotations up there, AEW. My God, I was on vacation in Puerto Vallarta reading so many of the comments. Uh, you know, it, Again, it boils down to, I'm AEW fanboy, I hate WWE, and I'm a WWE fanboy, and I hate AEW. Oh, man, why you, now you don't like Cody. I mean, it was just, and the way they get into it, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, you're getting work, pal. You're all getting work. This is all going to be part of this. And then things started to develop here as of last night that might might be a, a, a game changer. But, yeah, I the Cody talk was just a little too much, and it still is awful. It really, again, it brings out the uh, the worst in, in, in the pro wrestling fan. That's when the, the smark goes wild. I've, I've followed the Cody discussion. I've talked about it on Offshoots TV. It's work. It's not a work. It's going to WWE. It's not going to WWE. Now with Tony Khan, of course, and the uh, acquisition of Ring of Honor, now Cody Rhodes is going to lead a Ring of Honor stable <laughs> as they, you know, infiltrate AEW. Mm-hmm. So yes, Cody Rhodes definitely in the talk. You know, and glad to see you were able to get a little wrestling work in there in between, you know, bingo and, oh. and beach pool volleyball and all those other fun, exciting, exciting things you were doing in Florida, Florida, Mexico. You know, Mike, when you were sending me messages, giving me uh, ill will, Christ, man, uh, you were giving me ill will to to talking about, and I mentioned about the bingo and all of that. And and at the same time, I'm like, Mike, what do you expect? I'm 45. I'm not, I'm married. I don't really do much partying. This is what I want to go and chill and have quiet time. Oh, man. 
but it was pretty damn entertaining watching uh, beat, uh, pool volleyball. That was that was good. A lot of a lot of the you silver. Interested in the man in the orange hat? Yes, the man in the orange hat played every day. I was on vacation. I don't know if the man in the orange hat made a deal with the devil to avoid melanoma, but he was out there every day. Now I remember the picture I saw. He looked pretty tan, so you know he he might just be a leather by now. I don't know. Well, you know, he's got, uh, when he comes back from home to, uh, you know, wherever he lives, Kenosha, he can tell his friends about all of the time he spent in the water. Well, you know, Mike, we could talk about vacation and all of that business, but I really want to know what your thoughts are before we get to our guest today. And you definitely have gotten a main event uh, booked up today. What do you think about the, uh, what, what, what is next now and as far as wrestling goes, and the, the, especially uh, in regards to ROH and AEW and with Tony Khan making the announcement this past Wednesday on, AEW Dynamite. This interesting game changer. It's uh, a lot of people were, I don't know, I was kind of surprised pleasantly. And we kind of were in the same uh, boat as far as what we thought it was going to be like a streaming service. But what are your thoughts, man? This is a lot of great content in that library, man, that could probably see the light of day here soon on an HBO Max or whatever service. I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, I'm hoping that Heat and Ring of Honor is run as a separate entity. I don't want to see Ring of Honor absorbed by AEW. No. I kind of want to see, like, two things. And not competing. We don't need invasions and all that. Let them run as a separate entity. Well, you know that's going to be an inevitable, though. You know that's going to be an inevitable. That's going to be an inevitable, though. I mean, uh, once uh, they start to run, uh, try to look for new, fresh ideas, they're going to probably go back to the old hat. But I think they should wait on it, you know, and make it something special if they go that that, that typical route. You can still make some great surprises out of that. I'd like to see some network exposure. I'd like to see ROH get a, you know, cable deal somewhere instead of the channel 31 on a Sunday at 2 p.m. Yeah. And then the next week that's replaced by the, you know, the tire show. And then it's moved to Sunday night at 1 a.m. on the 31st, except for next Tuesday. Because yeah. that's what ROH is. ROH is you look on the guide channel and you just keep scanning until you find ROH. It They're was all over. It was, it was basically. I want to see him get a network it was basically inconsistency with some of the, the Sinclair affiliates that are on, owned under the banner. And it was just basically a play thing that never really got much in the way of like a lot of money being pumped into it. You think a big corporation like Sinclair that has a, such a grip on all of these, uh, uh, you know, network television markets uh, that they would have been able to uh, pull something off. But now maybe it's in better hands. But anyway, Mike, you have to the, the, the task at hand now is to introduce our guest this week. And I'm going to step out of the way, and I'll, I'll chime in from time to time. But take it away, my friend. Well, this is an easy task to hand. This is a man I've had a chance to meet a few years back and had a chance to work a few shows with. And I'm sure our listeners will be very familiar with the name. Uh, you know, you're talking Ring of Honor. You're talking the groups like that. You know, he, his name was made on the NBC, but it's a very prominent name on the independent scene. And people also might remember him from the movies Beyond the Mat. You might have seen him uh, on a very, you know, infamous NBC special many, many years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our guest today talked about his career and ring and all that is none other than Mr. Michael Modest. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Great to have you here, man. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. I, I, happened, to, I happened to see you on Facebook one day. You were you making some comments on a couple things. And I thought I'd send you an invite. And, you know, within a few minutes, you responded back and said, yeah, let's do it. I was looking yeah, forward man. to it because, as I said, 
you know, you and I have worked on some shows before uh, when you were working in the uh, uh, Oregon Territory for West Coast Wrestling Connection, a few groups like that. But so you know, we we had, but we haven't had a chance to talk for a while yet. I thought we'd bring you on, talk a little bit about your career and kind of what you're doing now. And like I said, we might mention a little bit about that NBC special, possibly a little, uh, you know, beyond the mat. But you know, to yeah, start man. off with, man, let's kind of. Let's kind of get our, our, our listeners, you know, up to par here, kind of fill them in a little bit. You know, when did you start in, uh, when, when was your debut? When did you start uh, in Professor Wrestling? Uh, I believe it was uh, 89 was, was when I, I basically first started when I was 18. And uh, I'll never forget my, my, when I was heading to practice the first day, I was trained by a guy named Jerry Monty uh, originally. Um, Jerry was the first guy I worked with. And, um, we, we did like for, we had this thing called the Vacaville team committee and we had a really cool team coordinator and we hit her up and we were like, Hey man, you know, we, we wrestle in the backyard and this and that. And, you know, what if we rented a ring and we, we put on a show, you know, like for, you know, with a bunch of teenagers wrestling, you know? And, uh, she said, yeah. And we ended up doing, uh, I believe two of them. And the wrestling was just atrocious. It was so bad. Um, you know, when, when, when you're a backyarder, you look at everything you do and you're like, oh, that's cool. I did that. And, you know, but when you get trained, it's embarrassing how bad the backyard stuff is. You know, it's like everything you thought was okay is just uh, embarrassingly bad. And, uh, but, but so we rented a ring from Jerry Monty and uh, I went down to Hayward I got in the ring. I, I watched a couple of pros, you know, bumping around, and this guy took a backdrop, and and I was like, oh, okay, so it's kind of like a trampoline. And then I, I got in the ring, and uh, I took a bump. I took a schoolboy bump. It almost knocked me out. It knocked the wind out of me. Jerry's ring was notoriously stiff. I rolled out of the ring, and I looked to see where the controls were because I I honestly believed that somehow they tightened it back up when I got in there. Like I thought, well, these pros jumping around, like they must've loosened it for those guys. Cause when I see them hitting it, you know, it's, it's giving, you know, and, uh, but God, the ring was so stiff. And, uh, so Jerry, when we rented the ring from him, he came in, he watched our show and he basically told me that I was the best of the worst. Um, that, of all the guys that he saw on the show that I was the best of the worst. And he was like, you know, you're terrible. And he's like, you know, you're not trained and there's, there's nothing about you. That's, that's good, but I see potential, you know? And, uh, he was like, you know, you, you come down and train with me. And Jerry was Italian and he knew I was an Italian kid. And, uh, he was like, yeah, you know, you gotta come down and train. And I told him, I was like, well, I don't have a job. I'm, you know, I'm still in high school. And, and he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, if, uh, if you can get to Hayward, if you can get to the classes, I'll only charge you 25 a month, $25. So that was it, man. I was, I was you know, that was an easy sell to me. And um, but I went down there. He started, started doing some training with me. It wasn't much. Jerry was a very kind of offhand instructor. He'd be inside watching football. He'd come out and watch us do our thing, and he'd say, oh, you know what, do it this way, you know, and then he'd kind of go and do his own thing again, and, you know, he wasn't real hands-on, 
he had a guy that was named Jim Gorman that was doing some uh, training for him. And Jim was actually one of Marty Janetti's first tag partners way back in the day. So Jim, Jim would come in sometimes and, you know, train us and kind of work with us on chain wrestling or whatever. And that's kind of how I, I got into it. And that was, I, that was 89. That was the year I graduated. As far as training and all that goes, you said, you know, you were still in high school. What was it about it? What was it about professional wrestling? What was the bug that bit you made you decide this is what you wanted to do? Well, so when I was a kid, I had an uncle, my uncle Rocky, he, uh, he would always watch it, and it was it was the Roy Shires territory down here in the Bay Area, and um, he, he he would watch it on Saturdays, and and uh, sometimes he would come over to my house to my mom and dad. My mom and dad weren't weren't fans of wrestling, and they never watched it, and they wouldn't put it on for me either. But when my uncle would come over, he he'd take me in the back room and go, "Let's go go watch wrestling," and he he'd put the wrestling on my mom and dad's TV in the back, and. Uh, and then whenever I'd go over to his house, you know, and play with my cousins, uh, you know, we'd watch wrestling and, and we'd all beat up my uncle, you know, and hit him with pillows. And I loved uh, Moondog Spot was uh, uh, Ronnie Main, uh, the original Moondog, um, was one of my, my favorites, you know, um, on the Roy Shires program. Pepper Gomez, uh, Ray Stevens, um, and then... Roy would always bring in guys from other territories that were big names, you know, and, and so I just, I was, I, I, I got this great wrestling when I was a kid and I rediscovered it when I was eight years old. Um, I was at an aunt and uncle's house and it was really a boring place, man. It was, it was like an old person's house. There was no toys. There was no fun stuff to do. And, um, I was really bored and I went and I turned on the TV and they had cable and you know, we where where, where we were living, we didn't really get wrestling on, on any television. And, but I just happened to be flipping through the channels, man. And I got, I got some wrestling on there and it was, uh, the match was Rocky Johnson, Tony Atlas, and it was uh, Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis. And it was, it was a weird deal. It was like a TV thing. And, uh, they attacked Rocky Johnson on the way out to the ring. They attacked him and Tony Atlas came out and kind of saved Rocky, but Rocky was too bloodied to continue. And it was just this great story. And Tony Atlas took him on by himself. And, uh, you know, the, the referee said, you know, Rocky Johnson can't, can't be a part of this contest. And Tony Atlas said, well, I'll do it myself. And, and Dick, Dick and Adrian were like, yeah, that sounds great to us. And they're beating Tony's ass and he's, he's starting to make a comeback and he's going to his corner, but there's no one there, you know, and they, they start beating him down again. And, and then here comes Rocky Johnson from the back with, with his bandage and he, he hops up there and he's waiting for the hot tag and Tony tags him in and Rocky Johnson comes in, he's cleaning house. And, and it, it was just this fantastic thing. And then the uh, the referee disqualifies Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas because Rocky Johnson was already banned from competing in the in the the match. They had already said that he could not he couldn't participate, you know. And um, and since it was before the match, there was not even going to be a decision on the match. So it was it was awesome that Tony took him on by himself. But then, 
you know, they got cheated out of the, the victory on this, you know, and, and I just, I was so hooked. And, uh, and then years later, uh, you know, me and my friends, we, we would just play around and, you know, I never thought to myself, I'm going to be a pro wrestler, especially since my dad was a jockey. My dad rode horses when I was a little guy. And, uh, so my dad was, you know, very small. So it never, I never thought, well, gee, I'll be a pro wrestler one day, you know, but then, you know, we did our backyard thing and ended up talking to Jerry and met Jerry Monty and, one thing leads to another. Sometimes I remember my first day of class when I was leaving, I, I remember I was going to say this earlier, uh, when I was leaving class, I remember my mom and dad, they said, uh, you're not, you're not thinking about like doing this for a living or anything. And I said, Oh no, no, I'm just, this is just fun. You know, I'm going to go train for wrestling for fun. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I got so hooked. Wrestlers are the biggest marks, by the way. Um, I, I, See, fans, they love wrestling, and they're smart enough to know that, you know, getting a good job at Visa or, uh, you know, a job with benefits and, and security, they, they know that that's the best route to go, and that's, that's a safe, good route to go. And, but wrestlers, we love it so much that we risk everything. We, we, we do whatever we have to do to be a part of this wacky business, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's, everything's gotten so PC now, um, that it's a very different industry, um, than when I got into the industry. Um, I liked being a jobber. When I first got into the business, I, that's where I started. I was a jobber and it was a title to me. And it, uh, it meant it was kind of like, it was kind of like a way for the, the, the older guys to kind of say, Oh, you know what jobber? Well, you know, one day you're, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be a talent, you know, you're going to be really, you know, once you're done training and so you're going to be something, you know? And then, uh, I remember talking to Terry Taylor and, and he said, uh, yeah, Hey, we don't, we don't really use that term anymore. And I said, what jobber? And he goes, yeah. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, it hurts people's feelings. And, uh, you know, it's just not correct, po politically correct. You know, it's like a, you know, and I said, okay, well, so what, what am I supposed to say? And he said, uh, enhancement talent. And <laughs> honestly, that sounds more demeaning to me than jobber. I'd rather just call me what I am. You know, if, 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 I'm, if I'm serving you a burger, don't call me a customer service representative. You know, just call me the cashier at the burger place, you know, or call me the cook, you know, like you don't have to fancy it up for me to, to save my feelings. And especially like you're, you're going to be a pro wrestler, but you got, you got hurt feelings because someone called you a jobber like, man. So I don't know. The, the business is, is so different. You know, when I got into the industry, uh, Dave Meltzer was still getting death threats for his, uh, for his sheet, you know, which was mailed by, at that point, there was no internet that, you know, wasn't even like a viral sensation or anything. It was just, he was just mailing out pamphlets and mostly it was to people that were in the industry anyways, you know, but he didn't, you know, he didn't care if you weren't, you know, and I guess that's what the, the problem was, but, um, yeah, so I don't know.
it's just a, it's a very different industry now. I have to agree with you about the, you know, PC and political correctness nowadays, especially with the pandemic. You know, I mean, this isn't wrestling related, but you know, during the pandemic, I, I work at a grocery store. I'm a bakery clerk. But during the pandemic, people referred to me as an essential employee. And I'm like, no, I'm a bakery clerk. I'm earning my paycheck so I can pay my bills. There, right, there was nothing. Right. I was, it wasn't necessary. And as soon as you were talking, I'm like, yeah, they're enhancement talent now. Here in Texas, we have some of the guys. They don't like the term jobber because, you know, they were a professional wrestler. That's what they were hired right. to do. They don't want to be called a jobber or whatever. I'm like, I know what they did. And it was an important right. part of wrestling back in that time. Right. You know, you took off you superstars and you saw. It's like this. If, if, are you going down tonight? Are you, are you jobbing tonight? Cool. Then you're the jobber. Mm-hmm. That's it. You're going, you're doing the job. That's it. It's not a big deal. You know, like if you don't like it, get into MMA. If, if, if you don't like yeah. someone telling you when you're going to lay down then get into MMA. And even then you're going to have someone kind of telling you when to lay down. You know, even then there's, there's, there's ways of fixing things without fixing things too. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah, said, one you know, fight. You know, the jobber had an important part in, uh, in wrestling. In the 80s. I still think they do. You got your debuting right. talent. You want to put them over, you put them in the ring with a guy that's going to make them look good. It's going to put them over. They're going to do the job. And that guy's going to come out looking like a star. That right. what they were, and they were guys that that's what they're known for. That's what they've always been known for. And they're just a big a name as, you know, I remember the, you know, the, the sunny beach. And I remember, you know, obviously, you know, Barry Horowitz and guys like that. I knew those yeah. guys just as much as I knew, you know, Hogan and Savage and Ultimate Warrior. Cause you know, no doubt. no doubt. And, and as a fan, like, man, I, dude, I was so stoked. I got to meet Barry O one time at the Arco arena and he was, he was stoked that I wanted to meet him. You know, like, like I was a huge fan of Barry O and, and here's a guy that WWE never really gave a shot to. And there's a lot of them. Barry Horowitz is another perfect example. I mean, the guy is one of the most talented people I've ever had the pleasure of being in the ring with. Okay. But that's, those are the guys that made the undertaker. Those are the guys that made the, 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 the superstars, you know, they, they knew how to make those guys look good. And, um, what happens when you throw guys that, that aren't good jobbers in there? Well, they get their necks broken, you know, like, like when Janetti broke that guy's neck, you know, the guy had no idea how to take that fall because he wasn't trained right, you know? And, and that's, that's what happens when you don't, you, you don't think jobbers, jobbers are important, you know? And, and there was a point where WWE kind of had that, uh, kind of had that philosophy, like, yeah, we'll throw anybody in there as a jobber. who cares, you know, like they're just going to get beat anyways, but it's important because the guy has to know how to go up for a 3d. The guy has to know how to take a nice hip toss or a beal across the ring. You know, if, if these guys don't know how to do that shit, then the, the star is going to look weak. You know, and, um, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know. I miss it. I'm so weird. I sit there and I'll turn on YouTube and watch old wrestling. I don't watch the new stuff. I really don't. And I try guys. I try so hard. Um, sometimes they catch my attention for a short while 
And then they start doing stuff that I just, I just can't. And I find myself just looking at uh, classic wrestling from, you know, the nineties, from the early nineties, uh, late eighties, and even later. Um, it's, it's just, it's too, uh, it's, it's so unrealistic and it's so spotty now and, um, stuff like the cock throw, you know, uh, I just, I can't abide by it. When I, when I'm watching professional wrestling as, as a fan, I like to forget. It's just like watching to me, like a good film. Okay. I know these are special effects and I understand these are actors. I get it. I know none of it's real. But when I'm watching the movie, I don't think about any of that. I just get absorbed into the film, and it's real to me while I'm watching it. Um, I'm a big fan of horror films, and I wouldn't be if I didn't have the ability to draw myself into the film. Um, and I'm the same way with professional wrestling. I believe it's a sport when I'm watching it. It is not sports entertainment. It is a sport. And when you fall too far out of sport for me um it just loses all interest it becomes more like uh watching power rangers power rangers has great fight fight sequences but it's it, in no way shape or form does it resemble a fort a, a, a sport to me so I, I lose interest in it um i and what's interesting as well is i'm not even a sports fan i don't watch football <laughs> i don't watch baseball um, I'm, I, I do have a favorite, you know, football team, but it's just because of the area I live. You know, I like the Niners and the Raiders, uh, the Raiders I, were our favorite team forever when they were in Oakland, you know, now it kind of sucks that they move around a lot. Um, but you know, I, I loved wrestling because it was a little bit of sport, but it wasn't boring. It wasn't boring. Like a lot of sports. Uh, the only other sports I do like is, is, you know, I'll watch MMA and, and stuff like that, but, um, you know, in boxing, but yeah, it did, when I watch the current product and, and especially WWE to me, um, WWE has lost so much of its spontaneity, spontaneity. And that's one of the things that I used to love about professional wrestling as well is that, uh, even though it was kind of written, and, and kind of, they, they had a direction they wanted you to go. Um, it wasn't so completely scripted. It wasn't so completely television. There was still this kind of organic feel to it, you know, that, that I think WWE loses completely. And I think that is the, the, the best thing that I like about AEW is that, they still, they have this kind of organic feel that you don't really know what's going to happen week to week. Almost anything could happen with that company, you know, and the growth of the company is very interesting as well. So, uh, whereas WWE, they seem to just bring in talent and spit them right back out. Um, they don't, they, they, they waste so many opportunities because of politics and weird, um, decision-making policies. Um, I'll give you a, a great example. 
um, a gentleman that I had the pleasure of training uh, for a period of time, uh, Killer Cross, and uh, from Las Vegas. He is a phenom. He's one of the most amazing talents uh, to come out of this industry in a long time. And with him, it's, it's incredible because he, I don't know if you ever, if you guys follow him on social media, but he does these self-produced, these self-produced videos, um, of him just talking self-written, uh, you know, uh, he does all the dialogue, he writes all this stuff and, He's fantastic. Are you kidding me? And they get rid of him? Like, unbelievable. Unbelievable to me. Uh, I just shake my head. And, but that's, that's the beast that they've become. They, they have so much talent coming in, they, they can't even hardly look at them all. It's, it's such a big animal. You know, and you end up with... with you know, this crew, this, this group of guys is rooting for this guy and they're saying, Hey, he's great, but you got the writers, they're saying this. And then you got these other guys, they're saying this, it, there's so much politics involved that it's, it's just a miracle that anyone gets a, a solid push, you know, there I go blabbing again. We had a guy, we had a guy here in uh, Texas that kind of falls in that category. Keith Lee, they brought him in and he obviously, you know, he went, you know, up against, uh, you know, Cross in NXT and a great talent. But then they brought him up to the main roster. They didn't quite know what to do with him. They called him Bearcat. They released him, you know, and he's another one of those. I mean, for a guy his size, he's amazingly agile. The stuff he can do in the ring is absolutely amazing. So, right. you no, know, I, I totally see where you're going with that. Right. And it's like, um, you know, and, and, you know, it's awesome that, they have so many different programs now, you know, you got NXT raw and I don't know what else they've got SmackDown, or I don't, I don't even know now. Um, and then they've got like talk shows. They've got all these different, you know, uh, ways to showcase talent. And, but to me, they've really spread themselves thin and, uh, they don't concentrate enough on one brand. You know, they, they're trying so hard to make their own competition, which is just kind of a bizarre thing. You know, and I've heard this rumor, and what do you guys, what do you guys think about this? I've heard this rumor that, that AEW, that, that somehow WWE is involved with them somehow. I, I've, ne I've never actually heard that rumor before, but uh, based on that, I would say it's 100% false. You basically got Tony versus Vince. You got, you know, a man with money versus another man with money. And I think Tony Khan is making a lot better decisions as far as like, you know, you know, advancing his product and all that than Vince is right now. Vince is stuck in, you know, doing what Vince does. And AEW, right. in my opinion, I'm not a, I'm not a mark. I'm not an AEW market. I don't want people thinking, Oh, you love the AEW, which is always the case. But right. I think that AEW is progressing better as far as, uh, you know, the television product goes and all that. And I think they're actually making a lot more strides than, the WWE who's just kind of content to be where they're at. Well, yeah. And you know, you know what else I, I liked about AEW and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to use, I'm going to use Chris Jericho as an example. Um, I, I, I just think the world of Chris Jericho, I really do. Um, just as a, as a human being 
and, and a performer. And I, I think the world of him. I met him a long time ago when he came down to the Bay Area. Um, this was before, well before he was a star, and he wrestled for Woody Farmer's Bay Area Wrestling. And um, mm-hmm. he was he was a, a gentleman then, and he's a gentleman now. And his body isn't what it used to be, especially his chest. It looks like there's been some kind of injury, um, possibly a pec tear. Um, I'm not sure what happened, but I like that AEW actually doesn't give a shit and he's pushed and he's, you know, he's obviously he's one of the guys that kind of put that company on the map in the first place. I get tired of the same old thin in shape rock star, uh, jazzy tights looking guy. I get so bored of that look in, in professional wrestling. I miss the Dick Murdoch so bad and that's one of the things I like about AEW as well, is that they have guys with different looks. Look at Tank Abbott back in the day with MMA. Tank Abbott was a killer. He was one of the baddest dudes in MMA at a point. And look at his body. He was never, uh, like, in shape. He was never, like, an athlete in that way. He didn't look like an athlete. But... But get in the ring with him and call him not an, you know, tell him to his face he ain't an athlete and watch the ass whooping that he unleashes on you. At, even at his size, because Tank wasn't like a big giant guy, but even at his size, when he went to WCW, he was one of those guys that the guys didn't really want to work with because it got real. He, he was too good at being real, you know, and he was a problem sometimes in the locker room and it was really hard to say, Hey, yeah, you're going to do a job tank. You know, that's not probably going to happen, but he wasn't a massive guy. I love that the, the guys, the guys don't always have this polished look, you know, like, um, every once in a while, it's nice to have a dude with hair on his chest. You know, why, why does everyone have to shave and, and oil down? I, I, I wish that not everyone had the bodybuilder look, so that the bodybuilder look was special again. You know, if everybody looks like the ultimate warrior, there's no ultimate warriors. But to me, arguably one of the best tag teams in the world uh, at, at a time, you know, especially when you look at their stuff in Japan, was Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis. Bumpers, I, I, find, I try to find better bumpers than Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy Rose and, and Adrian Adonis. Those guys were amazing, and they were 300 pounds you know, and not, uh, phenomenal looking bodies. You need guys like that. I, I, I think it's AEW. They had, they had these two guys that were both like very rotund. They were around. Yeah. 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 I love those guys. Love those guys. Don't they get it? People want variety. You know, they want, they want different looks. You know, and WWE keeps going for the same the same thing over and over. It's a shame that they work so hard to find that they work so hard to constantly find their next rock or stone cold that they miss so many other opportunities. You know, they back in the day when they had more time to concentrate on, on people, you had guys like Jake, the snake, you know, like Jake, the snake, 
is one of the most uh, iconic uh, characters to come out of that company, you know. Um, and Jake the Snake never had that bodybuilder look. You know, they just, I don't know. Yeah, it's, well, I'm going to pass the microphone over to Glenn and uh, see if he's got any questions for you. Okay, thank you, uh, Mike. And, of course, we are wrestling memories with our guest, Michael Modest. And, uh, Mike, you, you talk about uh, AEW. You know, you've had some connection out in Vegas with a company that has uh, been been putting out some really great wrestlers through the last five, ten years. You mentioned uh, Killer Cross and another guy I like uh, who's co- making his way up the Impact roster, the finesser, Chris Bay. Talk a little bit about future stars of wrestling and, uh, you know, your involvement with it and uh, what you think of that, com- what you thought of that company initially and, and when you stepped in? Well, um, you know, I had high hopes that, uh, you know, that uh, the company would, would do well and they still do pretty well. Uh, I was promised a percentage of the company and it, I just, towards the end uh, of, of, of my time there, I wasn't getting enough uh, of any part of the agreement. Like so, there was there was really not no money coming in, mm-hmm. um, and there was really no. I I I lost all ability to uh, input uh, my two cents in. Um, Joe kind of just started running it, you know, on his own, and uh, so. You know, and, and, and I, I don't have anything against Joe uh, DeFalco. He's one of the guys that runs it. And I certainly have nothing against uh, uh, Rocky T, um, one of the other owners. Uh, those guys are great. And I still love the company. And, uh, you know, I hope that one day that company grows into something that maybe has TV, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really a cool time for anyone that's that's trying to get in the industry because there are so many places to work for sure. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, lot of opportunity out there. Um, and even, uh, independent wrestling, like I'm, I'm just blown away. And I really think it's cool because back when, when I was doing independent wrestling, you know, we were lucky to draw 300, four or 500, you know, and now you have independent companies pulling in 15, 2000 or more. You know, um, it's, it's really an exciting time to be a wrestler. Uh, well, yeah, I, exactly. I mean, they, I mean, AEW, they have their dark and dark elevation programs that use a lot of guys, uh, coming up as enhanced or as job. They do the jobs enhancement, whatever to call it. I, I'm always more comfortable with jobber, right. but yeah, they, they brought in a lot of guys that have a lot of promise. And I think now when, with this big ROH purchase, there could be maybe even a little bit more of a feeder system, uh, through, through there, uh, that can eventually make their way either within that company or to AEW. I think there's just so many opportunities out there. You mentioned the Indies. I mean, up, even up here in three, Thief- Falls, we have an independent company that runs uh, core, uh, like four events a year now and may, may want to uh, put on more shows and they're drawing good audiences. It's, it, it's just, right. it, it's, it's so encouraging because there are a lot of great diamonds in the rough out there. And I think um, 
AEW it was kind of one of those that just kind of shook things up and, and, and has been paying attention to what's out on the indies. I mean, wasn't it all that long ago out in the out in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, they signed a, a young kid. Uh, well, he actually goes in the training when he's in eight when he's eighteen, and I think he had ties to Ed Moretti. Uh, Michael, is that uh, Mike? Is that who it was? That kid. Buddy Wang's son and uh, Ed Moretti's grandson. Oh, yeah, 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 man. And, and I'll tell you, Buddy Wayne, he was amazing. He's just, like, one of the best that I ever, ever got in the ring with. And then uh, Ed Moretti as well. I still I still talk to him. I, I got to wrestle him in uh, San Francisco at the Kizar Pavilion. And... Uh, he, Ed Moretti used to do this thing where he would he'd spit a loogie, I swear, twenty feet in the air, and he would catch it on the way down. <laughs> it was, it was that's a, to that, behold. That's a gift, man. That is a gift. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You know, I'm yeah. So mm-hmm. his grandson, yeah, is phenomenal. I, I watched I watched some of his stuff. It's and it's so cool too with. So back in my day, when I was getting into the industry, you had to hope that someone could film one of your matches. It had, they had a camera or something like that, and cameras were so expensive, but you'd hope that the promoter would be filming it or something. And then somehow, by some miracle, you could get a copy of that. And then you had to take it to someone and have it edited into, like, you know, mm-hmm. a, a music video or a highlight reel. And then you had to take VHS tapes, copy them, and send them to people and just hope that they watched them. Mm-hmm. Now it's like you can just click and, you know, copy paste a, a link and boom, send it. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing the opportunities that are out there for, for people. And and I, I feel so blessed because I, I was actually able to watch Ed's grandson, you know, have a match. And I was just like, man, how cool is this? You know, just from California, I'm watching stuff that's happening states away. Yeah, it's it, it, it's really something. I mean, to have a you know, you know, getting that endorsement and getting that contract ready for him once he's of legal age, and also, you know, AEW had another guy that made it big out was was first really really hot out in the Pacific Northwest. This Darby Allen. I mean, the first time I saw him, I was absolutely blown away at this guy. Just the, the the things that he would do and and the matches that he put on. I mean, he wasn't just a you know a spot monkey. There was there was story to him there was you know a backstory history i mean a guy was an int- wanted you wanted to watch him because he did have some interest he wasn't the biggest guy in, in in the pile but he was definitely someone that is compelling and has a really interesting character and he's really been able to flourish since the, the dawn of this aew yeah you know um it, it's a really bizarre thing for me to say this too mm-hmm. um so i'm a big fan of smaller wrestlers obviously i'm a small guy yeah. and however i do miss um, like sometimes I think companies get too caught into work rate and they get too into like smaller guys because I still miss the, uh, you still got to have those big guys. Those are the guys that, uh, still to me are the guys that m- really carry companies, you know, uh, y- y- they're special. It, they're, they're not average, you know, um, when you got a guy that's, that's average build, average body. Um, it's like Cornette's kind of been really making fun of one guy in particular. I think his name is Adam Cole. Am I correct on that? So Cornette's been like making a lot of fun of him. And, uh, and it's like, I kind of get where Cornette's coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, um, dude, you know, like, 
again, you know, body's important, man. And, uh, you know, you, you do have to kind of have a certain look. You can't be, you can't have every, you can't have, uh, like nothing going for you. You know, if you're small, I, I, I really feel like you gotta be at least in shape, mm-hmm. you know? Um, if you're big and not in shape, well, your size can get you through a lot of sh- because when you're wrestling guy that's 200 pounds and you're 280, 290 pounds, that size comes into play. It unfortunately it doesn't re- it doesn't work reversed. Mm-hmm. You know, a small guy that's out of shape going against a big guy that's in shape or out of shape is just it's just not as believable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm still a big fan of like the big guys the the uh, Again, I I really believe the best product has something for everybody, and that's one of the things I like about AEW is it does have something for everybody. Mm-hmm. You still need the guys with bodies. You still need that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have everybody, you know, five nine and one hundred and eighty pounds. Yeah, you don't want to be the midget company. I mean, they, they you could get ostracized pretty quick and. Oh, right. yeah. I mean, work rate. You know, thank God there wasn't social media back in like the, the 1980s, because as far as work rate, I mean, look at look at a guy like Jimmy Valiant who could go in, throw a few punches, a headlock, an elbow and an elbow smash and he get the victory. What brought him to the plate was he was so damn charismatic. I mean, so again, right. work rate doesn't always equate to like the the great success, the uh, across the board success and popularity. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's great that you can work, but you also need to have a little something in way of personality or want to be apt to uh, work on something that could get you more advancement. Right. Uh, so, one of the things that confused me when I when I went to go work for Noah I had this idea that Noah, All Japan, New Japan, I had this this idea that they were all very serious companies and that the matches that they put on were always sport in nature and always very serious. And I was shocked when I got there because Noah actually was kind of like a perfect company to me because they did provide everybody a little something. The first match with Noah was typically a comedy match. And it usually involved older guys. There was this guy, uh, Tom Egan, and his gimmick was that he spit. Uh, kind of like Gallagher. Oh. Um, are you guys familiar with this guy at all? I've I've heard the name, but I haven't really watched it, seen much of his stuff. But it, I, I, okay, so people would come to the shows if they knew Tom Egan was going to be there, um, you know. And he wrestled uh, Ricky Momota a lot, um, who was another older older guy. And uh, of course, when they were younger, they were more sport oriented. But now that they're older wrestlers, they do more of the comedy shtick, you know. Mm-hmm. So people in the first few rows would actually bring rain jackets, umbrellas, <laughs> newspapers, things to hide themselves from Egan's spit. And I don't know how Egan got that much spit in his mouth <laughs> from spot to spot, but somehow he did. Um, so Egan would kind of be on the outside, uh, on the apron, and Ricky Momota would come over to grab him and, and Egan would go to throw a punch and Momota would block it and punch him. 
and Egan would turn to the fans and kind of rock, you know, and and then maybe Momota hit him in the chest, you know, and now he just spits on everybody, you know, and then he'll walk over to the other side. And sometimes he'll do it to all four sides. Sometimes it's just a couple sides. Uh, sometimes Ricky will hit him, and then he won't spit, and then he'll hit him in the belly, and then he spits, you know. So the fans think he's not going to, and they pull the umbrellas down, and they get spit on. <laughs> it was crazy, you know. Um, so I, I I really liked that about Noah, that they would have that. They would have, uh, you know, the the big guys, the little guys, they had, they had a lot of everything. And that was kind of part of the concept of the name Noah was that all Japan had a certain philosophy and it didn't really allow for everyone to shine, you know? And so Noah kind of took, you know, a little of this and a little of that and left, left for, uh, you know, greener pastures and, so I just think that that's kind of a, a, a thing that all companies should look at is, is to try to appease everybody, give, give everybody a little something, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring uh, Mike McCurdy back into the, the conversation here as we move into our final segment on wrestling memories. Yeah, we got a few minutes left of the show here. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you for a few minutes, Mike, is, uh, you know, like I said, you know, you know, you're more known, you know, you did a lot of work on the independency in California. And all that's where I knew you from. And you see your name on the, uh, in the observer and all that, but you worked for one company that I'd like to talk a few minutes about and you got to work with one guy and that was APW and the garage working with Roland Alexander, which actually led to, you know, what I mentioned earlier in the show was your appearance in the movie beyond the mat. Uh, I had a chance to work with Roland a couple of times and you see him at the Colorado club events and, you know, Roland was one of those guys that, you know, he loved the business. He was one of the business not, and very well respected. A lot of everybody liked him and all that, but can you talk a little bit about APW and Roland Alexander and what led to beyond that? Yeah, man. Um, so when I was wrestling for Jerry Monty, um, this guy, Rick Thompson started coming around and Rick and, and Jerry were friends, and Rick was the first person that started training me like wrestling was a sport. He was the first person that started doing drills, and he was the first person that, that was like, well, no, we're going to do more amateur wrestling. And that was one of the things Rick liked about me was that, that I had a little bit of amateur, you know, not much, but I had a little amateur in my background. And uh, so Rick started training me, and I started seeing – like real differences in my abilities, you know, and I became a big fan of Rick's Roland came around and started, you know, like hanging out with, with, with us and, and watching the practices and stuff. And then Roland asked Jerry, cause Jerry was doing shows and Roland was a friend of Jerry Monty's and, uh, buddy Rose and, and a whole lot of guys. And, uh, so Roland asked Jerry, he was like, Hey, you know, that this show you got coming up in Crescent city, um, you know, is there any way I could manage buddy Rose? And Jerry was like, well, yeah, yeah, I think I could do some, we could do something. He goes, tell you what, he goes, um, why don't you rent a van and then bring a bunch of the guys up and that'll help me out. And then when you get up there, we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll figure it out. 
And so Roland was like, all right. So Roland rents a van. Um, you know, we all, we all pile into this van. We drive up to the show in Crescent city. And then when we get there, Jerry's kind of ignoring Roland and Roland's trying to corner him and, and see, Hey, am I you know, going to manage buddy? And then Roland finally asks buddy, he says, Hey, you know, I'm going to manage you. Right. And uh buddy says, ah, man, I don't know. You know, uh, you have to talk to Jerry about that. And, so Roland finally gets a hold of Jerry and Jerry says, tell you what, man, uh, come by the school on Monday and give me a thousand dollars and I'll train you to be a, a manager. And then you can manage buddy, you know, next time. Well, Roland was so pissed off because Roland was smart to the business. He was friends with all these guys. He used to, according to Roland, he used to get him cocaine and, and pot and, uh, so he was pissed that they were treating him like a mark. And the drive home that night was when Roland decided he was going to start a wrestling school. And he told Rick Thompson, he said, I'm going to put Jerry out of business. And uh, so then they, he did it. He started his school. And, um, and then they called me to be like Rick's assistant instructor. And I was just, man, I was in a really conflicted position because I loved Jerry and I had, I had so much loyalty and thanks to him for everything he had done. But at the same time, I knew that Rick was a better trainer and I knew that that's what I needed. I needed to be trained right. And Jerry was more of a, a stick wrestler. You know, he did, he did like little, like I'll give you an example. He did this thing where the heel would grab him in a headlock, you know, tell the referee he's got my tights. Referee goes around the heel punches Jerry in the face. Jerry complains, asks the fans, uh, you know, the referee says, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. So they lock up again. Heel takes the head. Hey, ref, he's got my tights. Punches him in the head again. Jerry complains again. You know, the fans are all into it. Hey, you know, did, didn't he punch me? The fans are saying yes. The referee's like, I didn't see it. Well, the third time the heel tries this, he tells the referee, check the tights. He goes for the punch. Jerry blocks the punch while in the headlock. He blocks the punch and then turns that into a, a headlock. Like he just kind of slips out of the headlock and turns it into his own headlock. And now he punches the heel a whole bunch of times in the face. He does a, does a big rope-a-dope with the arm, and then he gives him one last one. The heel takes a bump, and Jerry's celebrating with the crowd. The referee reprimands Jerry for punching, right, because now the referee sees Jerry punching. So that's kind of Jerry's – that was Jerry's style. That was his professional wrestling. And Rick's was very different. Rick's was athletic. Rick's had amateur wrestling. Rick's – was uh, had some Japanese style to it because Rick had gone to Japan um, for a short stint. So I just knew where I, I needed to be. And I called Jerry and I talked to him about it. And I told him, I said, Jerry, I, I gotta, I gotta go with these guys. You know, Rick's a good trainer and man, Jerry went off on me and it broke my heart. And Jerry had a way of yelling at you where 
his brain worked so fast where he would not lose words. He could keep yelling and yelling and yelling and yelling, and then he would lose his breath before he thought, before he lost thought of things to say. Like he would lose breath before vocabulary. And so while he's still yelling at you, he'd go, <laughs> it was unbelievable how he could yell. And um, it, it was terrible. You know, it, it was the worst thing. And I was really glad because years later when Jerry, when we like reconciled, Jerry understood why I did what I, I did. And Jerry had seen the massive improvement in me. And Jerry actually arranged with Chief J. Strongbow for my very first tryout match with WWE. So I was really glad that that ended up happening because, you know, Jerry's passed now. And so it'd be too late to uh, make things right. You know, but I always felt terrible about having to make that decision, but I knew it was the right one and it was, you know, and then of course, from there, um, the beyond the mat happened. And, uh, that was, that was huge for me because from that point on, every wrestler knew who I was, every guy in every locker room. So it didn't matter to me that fans didn't know who I was. When I walked into it, I remember I walked down into an indie show somewhere back east somewhere, and uh, King Kong Bundy was there, uh, Chris, and I, I'm a huge fan of King Kong Bundy's and have always been, and uh, he was one of my favorite big men ever, and no one scared me like he did. He, he was, to me, he was scarier than Big John Studd. He was scarier than Andre. He, he was a madman, you know. And in, real, in, and in reality, one of the nicest guys you ever want to want to meet. And I walk into this locker room, and he looks over at me, and I'm like, "Oh my God, that's big! That's King Kong Bundy!" You know, in my heart, that's what I'm thinking. And he says, "Mike Modest, Roland Alexander's Golden Boy." And he gets up and he starts walking over to me, and I'm like, "This is surreal." I'm like, "This is so surreal. I've never met him before, and now he knows who I am." And he's walking over to say hi to me. Like, like I was marking out so hard for this. And, and I was still a little afraid of him when he said my name. When he said, uh, Mike Modest. I was like, is he pissed? Like, you know, because uh, a lot of guys were pissed about exposing the, the business. They were, they, were pissed as, they were pissed about Beyond the Mat. And then a lot of guys were really pissed about the fucking uh, NBC thing. Which, that... We could go on and on about that. That's a whole show in itself. The NBC Wrestling Secrets Exposed, which if you haven't seen it, you got to go on YouTube and check it out. It's it's hilariously bad. It's 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 a bad production. It really is. They it, they did a terrible job, but it's it's entertaining because it's so bad. All right, well, Mike, we are definitely going to invite you back to uh, talk about professional wrestling secrets exposed and more. Because we just barely scratched the surface on uh, you know your career and time in the ring. But I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn because I believe the timekeeper is probably staring at him pretty good right. Yeah, give me the old stink eye, but definitely it was a very very fascinating edition of wrestling memories. A big thank you to our guest Michael Modest and for the grizzled vet Mike McCurdy. I'm Glenn Broggett. So long for now.